money Two bars on the show The boys stay ready Swamp rats, let's go It's the fantasy points Ain't no raggedy joint They mad at me scoring points But then they glad that they join One for the money Two bars on the show Ladies and gentlemen, it is the first two bars podcast of the year. Very excited. This should be uh, once a week, every other week type thing moving forward. This comes at an exciting time. You know, the NFL draft, it's, you know, Christmas weekend just ended and Graham and myself are going to be breaking down that draft. I think mostly dynasty implications, but we'll try and uh, hit on what it means for some NFL teams as well. And uh, I don't know if you heard that, but we have our very own theme song. I'm feeling hyped up. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like Mariano walking out to enter Sandman. Shout out to my guy, Gabe. That's at FF man bun on Twitter, uh, who recorded that little ditty for us and have to say did an excellent job. Graham, what, what do you think? How are you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, I'm I'm biased, obviously, but I think that might be the best podcast intro in the history of fantasy football podcast intros. We are not <laughs> we're not messing around anymore, man. Gabe crushed it. Um, by the way, was that a Mariano Rivera reference there? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, yeah. the goat, uh, the goat, the best cutter ever. Um, yeah, dude. General thoughts of this weekend? What um, I I kind of felt like. You know, I think, you know, you and I have talked about this extensively, but this running back class sucks. I kind of felt like the receiver landing spots were pretty underwhelming too. Yeah, it was pretty gross overall. I did a bunch of pre-NFL draft rookie drafts, and I did an excellent, maybe just like lucky job of avoiding a bunch of landmines outside of a Kenny Gainwell share here or there. But yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it, we also did a draft like right after uh, day one ended and I was just on, on the clock with pick like 210 tight end premium super flex. And it was just so, so gross. Like the, the tier really died in a big way. And like, I have no idea who to take here. Like, do you defer to draft capital with Dwayne Eskridge or Tutu Atwell who's so skinny? Uh, yeah. So it, it was kind of a mess after, you know, let's say Rondale Moore went, um, you know, all those guys either, you know, went later than expected or to bad landing spots or yeah, it, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty weird overall. So I'm excited to talk to you about this and, and really kind of shape up, shape uh, our, our thoughts on, uh, on who to attack and why. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, I felt it's weird. I felt like going into the draft, I felt like I loved a lot of the receivers that were going to like the third and fourth rounds of the rookie drafts that you're in, you and I are in. And uh, yeah, tough scenes out here for like Seth Williams and Tamaron Terry's and uh, those guys of the world. My God, man. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. Um, let's go through quarterbacks first. No, no surprise who the top two were, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. I really don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time on them. Um, you know, Lawrence is, I, I think the consensus 101 uh, in super flex league still. Um, I've seen some some smart people suggest otherwise, but I'm still on T-Law as, as the 101. Wilson goes two. I have in my rookie ranks that we've been working on for the site, I have Lance at two, Fields at three, Wilson at four. And I think you have the same way. Yeah, so I, I just want to say I, I do think Trevor Lawrence is 
probably the 101 in super flex leagues fairly unanimously. Uh, but I did just take Kyle Pitts 101 in a league. I actually had zero quarterbacks, but I had a bunch of picks. So I went Kyle Pitts, Najee Harris, Jamar Chase, uh, 107, Zach Wilson, 108, Mac Jones with, with Lance and Fields and already off the board. Uh, took Javante 110, Elijah Moore, my guy, 201, Kadarius Tony 206. And I kind of just liked how that played out. Like, okay, you know, I moved Trey Lance to QB2, you know, draft capital plus landing spot, ideal. But, um, you know, I, I just, I mean, I locked up ideally the next, or, you know, Kyle Pitts is probably already my tight end one. I know that sounds crazy, but like all the guys he's competing against who are great are like nine years older. He's 20 years old. Najee Harris, I mean, dream landing spot in Pittsburgh, easy RB1. Jamar Chase, I think a generational wide receiver, maybe the best since AJ Green, Julio Jones. And then, okay, you know, I, I didn't get those stud Konami code quarterbacks, but I got two competent ones. Uh, but yeah, let's let's talk about quarterbacks. So uh, Lauren, Zach, makes a lot of sense. Trey Lance was the more productive Konami code quarterback in college. Okay, Justin Fields with the generational 40-year dash time. There's a bunch of untapped potential there. But I mean, just how does he miss in San Francisco? Yeah, that's the biggest thing is, you know, the biggest knock on Lance that everybody says is the accuracy bit. But in Shanahan's offense, you know, I always say every quarterback is a fit in Shanahan's offense just because he's that damn good of a coach. But yeah, I'm glad the Niners went for upside. You know, they didn't just settle for Mac Jones. And frankly, Mac Jones went where he should have gone, you know, middle of the first round. I was kind of always where he should have gone. But yeah, Lance, man, you know, he, he's, he had more rushing yards than whatever it was, like 13, 14 starts in any quarterback in this class. Granted, that's against, you know, totally lower competition than what Lawrence and even Zach Wilson was facing. Um, that being said, though, I mean, Lance under center quarterback is going to understand immediately come in and understand the, some of the, 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 you know, play action concepts that Kyle Shanahan already has installed in his offense. There's going to be carryover there. And then we'll get to see Shanahan again with a mobile quarterback. I mean, it looked like Shanahan and RG three were going to change the NFL before the damn field ripped up RG three's uh, knee there in Washington. But yeah, I think, uh, I, I think Lance, man, you know, you, you made an interesting point that, that Lawrence is probably the 101. I think if you have the 101 it's super flex rookie drafts right now, the move is to trade that pick back a little bit and pick up Lance plus maybe like the 110. And I think that would net you like Lance plus Javante Williams, Lance plus, you know, whoever you need help at, you know, with wide receiver three or four, I think they'd be in that range. Um, you know, this, this is not a deep class by any means. We kind of mentioned it off the top, but I still think that top 15, top 16 is, is pretty rock solid with Chase, Waddle, Smith. We got Harris, Etienne, and Williams. And then from there, it's just like a massive, massive tier break. But uh, with the four quarterbacks plus those six or seven skill guys, it's still a, a pretty solid first round. In general, though, I think I'm selling, I think I'm selling picks for, for 2022s, man. I think that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Again, it, it depends. I do like the first two rounds of this draft quite a bit, maybe round one and then half of round two. Uh, and yeah, you, you make a good point, like trading Lawrence and getting more picks, I think is probably the right move just to reiterate that Konami code 
point, you know, like we are in the Konami code era. If you look at, you know, quarterbacks by fantasy points per start last season, it was Dak one, Jalen Hurts two, Kyler Murray three, Josh Allen four, Pat Mahomes five, Taysom Hill would have ranked top 12, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Trey Lance, he averaged 77 rushing yards per game across his college career. Justin Fields, not too far behind, 64.6. Trevor Lawrence, sneaky, sneaky last two seasons, 39.9 rushing yards per game. Zach Wilson, um, 38.4 in 2018, 33.7 2019. Mac Jones, like zero. Uh, so that's, that's what you're looking at there. Uh, it is the age of the Konami code quarterback and, and Lawrence as much of a lock as he, you know, should be supposedly is, uh, is about half at, at best a Lance or a fields. Um, and, you know, he's already going round one in, in dynasty startups. Um, again, you, you could say it's close between fields and Lance. I think most people still have fields. They just get into that, you know, take yeah. lock, but just the goat Kyle Shanahan with all the weapons they have, uh, you know, trading up, getting his guy, spending the draft capital. And, you know, I watched the post-draft press conference. He said, you know, he kind of came around on Justin Fields at some point, but um, he was really, when he moved up, it was, he leaned Trey Lance, but the, really it was, it was uh, Mac Jones, the other guy competing there. Um, another point on Trey Lance, I think, is just that supporting cast is, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely absurd. Um, so since 2018, Russell Wilson averages 7.84 yards per pass attempt. Over the same span, Nick Mullins ranks above that. Jimmy Garoppolo also ranks above that behind only Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. And so like with those elite weapons, like, you know, he could have like a 4.2 ADOT and still average, you know, like nine yards per attempt. Uh, you know, Brandon Ayuk, uh, most career yards after the catch per reception among any power five wide receiver since 2014. Since entering the NFL, Debo Samuel leads all wide receivers. George Kittle leads all tight ends in yards after the catch per reception. So he's just like so set up for success. Yeah. And to that point, I mean, even if we do get kind of the same, at least to start the year, I think the 49ers will probably just try to build and, you know, go back to kind of the the low A dot yak offense that we've kind of seen from Jimmy Garoppolo. But once they start to build this man, like Lance so clearly has 10 times the arm talent that Jimmy Garoppolo has. I don't know. Maybe it's not 10 times. Maybe it's like three or four times, but you get my point. Like if you adjust for depth of target, like Trey Lance had that highest average depth of target of any draft, really like the top five or six quarterbacks we've been looking at in the last couple of years, he had the highest average depth of target and, you know, I mentioned earlier that his accuracy was, was the biggest knock against him. Okay. That's fine. Like definitely the numbers kind of back that up, but you also have to adjust for, for average depth of target. And I mean, his ADOT was 10.5 yards downfield. I mean, that was, you know, like, you know, two yards deeper than Mac Jones, like two yards deeper than two attack of two attack of Iloa. So, you know, that, that also factors in Uh, Lance. I think, I don't think it's a huge gap between Lance's QB two over fields. Um, but Tom Brawley made an interesting point this weekend in one of our group chats. And he he said, you know, what if the Bears fail? Like, what if Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, like, you know, let's say let's say this this field experiment just doesn't go well and they get canned. 
after this year. Well, we could be looking at Justin Fields, you know, potentially playing for a starter job a la Sam Darnold after his rookie year. So I think there's a lot more risk, downside risk with Fields. Obviously, the ceiling is still intact with him. Um, he's he's clearly, yeah, clearly, like you mentioned, uh, one of the, the clear-cut Konami Code quarterbacks that we've gotten uh, coming out of college. But I just think the stability with Lance and already the baked-in floor with this offense is, is so much higher. Um, Scott, let's talk quickly about Mac Jones. <laughs> Bill Belichick, man, he stays in, stays in place, gets Mac Jones at 15. Um, you know, a lot of the rumors early, I remember from like January, right after the season ended and we got into the playoffs, a lot of the early rumors that I read were, you know, Patriots are enamored with Mac Jones and it makes sense. I mean, he's, you know, if you want to, if you want to make a comparison, he has to be the Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Kirk Cousins level processor to be successful in the NFL. And I think he can be, um, but man, Mac Jones, you know, I think at least for, for fantasy, like it's kind of a wet blanket type of thing. He's going to have to just put up massive touchdown numbers to even come close to some of these guys like Lance and Fields, who, you know, they can throw t- 22 touchdowns, but still end up with top 10 numbers just because of their legs. Um, I do think Jones elevates the pieces here though. Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry, some of the receivers they've added, I still don't know how much I want them for redraft. I mean, we're strictly talking redraft for this one. But, um, yeah, I think Mac Jones at least elevates the pieces and the offense as a whole here. I still still have trouble figuring out what his ceiling is, though. Yeah, I mean, uh, you want to talk about a franchise in decline. That's that's certainly Chicago. But, you know, this couldn't have been a more ideal landing spot for Mac Jones. You know, know, Bill Belichick's not going anywhere and – New England, I, I imagine, isn't going to play as poorly as they did last year for a long, long time. Uh, they did add all those receivers, um, and so uh, and so, yeah. And and for, San Francisco did like Mac Jones. Kyle Shannon said, he, you know, we'd take Jones if we kept that that number twelve pick. We'd be happy with that. Uh, I, I think he was, you know, overrated in the process, uh, just because you know people were flirting with the idea of San Francisco taking him at three. And now he seems a little underrated where people are like, Oh, you know, nowhere near on this level. He's, he's falling in, in rookie drafts. Uh, but yeah, I mean, exciting player. New England wasn't going to ever trade up for him, but um, you know, maybe that's what Belichick wants. You know, he doesn't want a guy coming in cocky, but um, yeah, like you said, you know, catching passes from Mac Jones as a pair as opposed to Cam Newton, that's going to be an upgrade for the receiving core. And uh, I'm interested to see what, what he does in new England. I you know, don't have any you know thoughts beyond that. Yeah. I, real quick. I should say Cam Newton's deal, you know, when they first announced they were going to bring him back on that one year deal, I was pretty surprised by that, but uh, looking into some of the language, there's a chance they just cut him. So I think, I think Max Jones right now is a strong, strong favorite to be, their week one starter. Um, yeah, I don't really think we needed to spend too much time on like Kyle Trask and Kellen Mond. I do, I do think the Kellen Mond pick was really interesting because he's literally the antithesis of Kirk Cousins, dude. Like uh, Cousins is a ball distributor, super accurate, fairly good ball placement. Kellen Mond is fairly scattershot, but extremely athletic. I wonder if uh, I wonder if Spielman just views him as a project. Have you? I know you've been grinding your face off probably already with these press conferences, but have you 
have you heard Spielman uh, talk about Mond at all yet? No, that's a, what I was going to say. Okay. I haven't caught up on Trask or Mond or Mills okay. or Ian Book. All right. Well, let's get to the running backs here, man. Najee Harris. Uh, we have a new workhorse, man. I, I think I think everybody kind of started connecting the dots the last two weeks in the lead up to the draft. I'm still fairly surprised they took Harris over some of the offensive linemen, but those offensive linemen slipped. And I, you know, I wonder, I wonder if there's still medical stuff that we don't know about guys like Tevin Jenkins, but yeah, they stuck with their guns. They took Harris at 24, didn't have to do anything to get him. Um, man, the, the, <laughs> the fit in the, the, the comp that I had for Harris before the draft was Le'Veon Bell. And I mean, if you want to talk about play style and, and patience, I think that's Najee Harris. He's not going to have, he does not have home run speed, doesn't have, you know, the, the sexiness of, of Travis Etienne, but he is a technician with his footwork and, you know, behind the Steelers offensive line that, that has major, major concerns. Um, I don't know how much it's going to matter for fantasy dude, because he's going to get the ball on literally every single snap. Yeah, and, and that's the big takeaway here. I, I wouldn't be shocked if by the end of the offseason he has, you know, a late round one ADP. It's just <clears throat> what do I prioritize when drafting fantasy running backs for redraft and dynasty leagues? Is I, I want bell cows, guys with bell cow potential. What does Mike Tomlin want as a head coach? He's made it clear he wants a bell cow running back. He doesn't want a committee. He wants just one guy who can, you know, get the hard yards, also uh, be involved in the passing game as a, a real receiver. And, and you saw that with Harris getting Steven Jackson, Matt Forte comps coming out, you know, Le'Veon Bell 2014 to 2017 averaged over 20 fantasy points per game. D'Angelo Williams, when Le'Veon Bell was out, averaged over 20 fantasy points per game. James Connor smashed in 2018 prior to injury, smashed in 2019 prior to injury. Then things sort of fell apart last year. You can say, you know, you could blame a little bit on the offensive line. The offensive line is a concern, but, you know, snaps correlates to fantasy points more than anything else at the running back position. Outside of the red zone, a target is worth 3.25 times as much as a carry in PPR leagues. I see Najee Harris, like, locked into, you know, 18 and 24 carries and, like, four to six targets per game and all the goal line work and, you know, like a 95% snap share. I, I think he just absolutely smashes offensive line. Sure. Not ideal, but volume is, is King at the end of the day. And he's going to get volume for days. Unlike probably all the other running backs in this track. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the, that's the delineation point. And, and, you know, in my yards created stuff, like Harris was phenomenal as a receiver. He actually forced the most missed tackles, I've ever charted more than Christian McCaffrey, more than Alvin Kamara. I mean, he's going to immediately be a binky for, for Ben Roethlisberger. And, you know, whatever Ben Roethlisberger has left in the tank, and I don't think it's much, it actually might be a good thing this year for Harris's value because, I mean, if he senses pressure and Harris is open in the flat, I mean, he's just going to dump it off, and Harris is a beast after the catch. So I'm, I'm right with you on uh, workload projection, all of that. Um, we're updating best ball ranks on the site too. Um, and I, I have Harris, right, as you said, as like a borderline RB1. I might move him up. I've got him at RB11, 15 overall. I've got a couple receivers ahead of him, um, but I'm, I'm considering bumping him up even higher. Um, I'm in a uh, $150 best ball draft championship with some really 
really sharp drafters. And Harris went, I believe, right after the round one, round two turn. Um, I'm pulling it up real quick. Yeah, he went in the middle of the second round, actually. Um, still after Acres and Swift, but um, I've got I've got Harris over Acres and Swift right now. They the Steelers did draft uh, two linemen in the third and fourth round. They draft they draft an interior guy out of Illinois, Kendrick Green, and a and a tackle and Dan Moore. But you know, obviously they <laughs> they felt comfortable skipping over O line in the first and second round. So maybe they're a little bit. They're obviously a lot higher inter- in, internally with their offensive line talent. I think you know. Taking Harris at 24 is a surprise, but then not going offensive line at 55 and taking Pat Fryermuth was a bigger, uh, an even bigger surprise, man. Like this team, I mean, they're four deep at receiver. They're two deep at tight end. I think they're going to run a shit ton of kind of, obviously 11 is going to be their base, but I think they're going to run a lot of like, you know, four wide looks with Ebron in the slot. They'll obviously have Juju in the slot. So the good news is Harris will probably be running into lighter boxes, I would imagine, just simply because of the nature of the way this offense is going to be designed. But yeah, man, I, you know, the, the biggest concern here is offensive line. Like, you know, he could average, you know, 4.0 yards per carry, get 320 touches and none of it matters. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about the lighter boxes thing just because what was Ben Roethlisberger doing last year? He wasn't throwing deep at all. True. It was all short passes. Um, I mean, I, I think that's a legitimate concern, but I, I, I do think he is a tier above Travis Etienne and Javante Williams. And I, I want to talk about those guys. I did watch the press conference on Travis Etienne, and it was weird. It was legit. Yeah, you sent weird. it to me. It was real weird. Well, I sent you the uh, Urban Meyer calling Travis oh, Etienne, right, right, welcoming right, him right. to Jacksonville. The first thing he said was, we want to get you in the weight room tomorrow. And then he followed up with saying, remember those pictures we sent you a few weeks back. We want you looking like that. I don't know what he sent him. Like maybe like a, a picture of, you know, like a, a bodybuilder or something, but send him a picture yeah, of I mean, BK Metcalf. <laughs> right, exactly. He, he's 215 pounds. He's five ten. you know, he's not too undersized, at least according to the, the pro day measurements. I, I know you said he looked kind of, smaller than that on tape. Uh, but in addition to all that, Urban Meyer in his post-draft press conference comped him to Percy Harvin. He called him basically the team scat back where Carlos Hyde and James Robinson are going to be the early down runners, uh, which would be super gross for fantasy. I kind of got the sense he views him as like Alvin Kamara, which I think is like what you're hoping for when you hear scat back. You're hoping for Alvin Kamara a scat back on steroids, Percy Harvin, kind of same thing. He, when Urban Meyer had Percy Harvin at Florida, he was a running back or listed as a running back. And he had about the same amount of rushing yards as he did receiving yards. Meyer kept saying, you know, uh, mismatch guy uh, who can play as a runner and as a receiver. And then maybe, you know, year two, if he puts that weight on that, I guess Meyer's hoping for, he could be a bell cow, but for year one, I I don't know what to make of this. It was weird. Yeah. I mean, how many times have we heard coaches and GMs say we want our speedy running back to put on weight and it doesn't work? Like how many times That's is that? I mean, they, I remember when the Bucks drafted Ronald Jones, man. And Jones, when he played at USC, I mean, speed was his calling card. He put on a little weight and I mean, he, he couldn't process. I mean, it, I, I always, 
I always had problems with Rojo's processing, but like, man, he looked sluggish behind the offensive line, you know, besides the processing concerns. So, you know, my thoughts are pretty straightforward. I mean, from an NFL team building standpoint, I thought it was just a ridiculously uh, ridiculous overpay for ETN. Um, you know, with it, this team had so many needs, you know, between corner, uh, they they could have used another pass rusher. I mean, they've got three good pieces between Allen and Henderson and Mack um, on defense. But I mean, they ju- they just they need safety help. They need corner help. And I get that they took Tyson Campbell, but you know, a lot of the evaluators. I, I'm by far from a cornerback evaluator, but a lot of the evaluators that I trust thought Campbell was a, was an overpay at, at 33-2. So you know, they got Lawrence, and and honestly, you know. He might, if he's as good as, as Andrew Luck and, you know, Peyton Manning and some of the best quarterback prospects that I think he can be, that he, he kind of compares to from a generational talent standpoint, it may, it may not matter. The rest of this class may not matter if they completely flopped on all these guys, but I'm with you. Such a weird pick. Like, you know, if, yeah. go ahead. It was, it was also interesting that it was later reported that Urban Meyer said on ESPN's draft broadcast that it quote unquote broke our yeah. heart to not be able to to grab Kadarius Tony, who's like another sort of developmental guy, could be viewed as sort of positionless. You know, run him on gadget plays, jet sweeps with which a you know doesn't doesn't look good for the the wide receiver who was drafted early yep. there as part of the uh, older regime, but also because you know what are they viewing Etienne as who they wanted Kadarius Tony to be in their offense, which is to say, you know, again, sort of positionless. And then those guys always suck for fantasy. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because this, this staff obviously is not as nearly as high on LaVisca Chanel and James Robinson as the fantasy or dynasty community is as a whole. And we got to adjust for that. Cause I'm with you. Like if they, Man, Tony and Chenault play basically the same position. You know, obviously Chenault's way bulkier and, you know, almost as, I mean, he's basically built like a running back. Tony's a lot more slender, but they they basically fill the same type of role. You put him in the slot, you know, you let him do their thing after the catch. I, I'm, yeah, they, they are obviously not as high on Chenault or, uh, or Robinson. I do think real quick that the, the fit from like, just a player standpoint from e- from ETN's perspective makes some sense because I noted this in my article, but but Travis ETN scored very poorly in yards created on inside carries. He scored the 19th percentile in my database. Um, I mean, how much of that was 2020? Because sure. I, everyone kind of says he he took a, a step back as a runner in 2020 because you know he had that round two consensus grade, and everyone said, "Well, we want to see you what you can do as a pass catcher." Where at least allegedly that was, you know, a weakness to his game. And now he's being drafted as a scat back and it's like, what? But um, yeah. Yeah. So how much of that was, was 2020 in your numbers? I mean, I, I didn't chart 2019, but I did, you know, I watched a bunch of Clemson just because they're on national television all the time. And um, I went back and just kind of compared it anecdotally. I thought 2019, I thought ETN looked a little quicker in ETN uh, in 2019. I thought he looked a little quicker out of his cuts. Like, he, he sometimes does this thing like, cause he's moving so fast and this, this happens with a lot of like the, the speed track guys, but like takes three to four steps for him to kind of like gather himself. Whereas like if Najee Harris is making a cut, it's like one step in the ground and he's gone, you know, for ETN, sometimes there's, there's some pitter patter and that's just the nature of the way he plays the position. And 
I think we'll see Robinson still highly, highly involved on, you know, and Hyde. I, I actually believe Urban Meyer when he says he's going to give Carlos Hyde a couple carries. Um, I think we're going to see Robinson and Hyde get a lot of the inside carry stuff and we'll see ETN kind of playing a gadget role. And I'm with you. That's certainly questionable for fantasy. Um, one thing I did want to know, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they did. They did lose like four offensive linemen in 2019 Who? to 2020. Clemson? So I, yeah, so okay. if you do go back and, and chart 2019 as part of your your yards created data, I'd be eager to see how uh, how things change for you. You know what? I'm going to do that. I'm actually – I'll do that next uh, – not next week, but the following week. I'll go back and watch ETN's uh, 2019, get some, get some data for that. That's a good call. Um, uh, the one thing I did want to note on ETN, and, you know, he, he draws the, the, the Alvin Kamara comps, and I, I've just kind of scoffed at those because, like, you would never describe – Alvin Kamara is stiff and ETN is not like, you know, super, super stiff. It's not like he's a, I don't know, like a, a, you know, a plank going out there, but you know, ETN was not used on a very diverse route tree. Like most of his targets were screens like over 75. I charted uh, ETN with 74% of his receptions coming on just three routes. And that was screens, flats and check releases and check releases are just like, you know, you make sure linebacker or, you know, defensive end as it come around the corner and you release out in the flat 74% of his receptions came on those three routes. Um, sure. Yeah. He's a beast after the catch because he's fast as hell and he has game breaking speed, but uh, he was not running um, near the route tree that Najee Harris was. And even Javante Williams on a much smaller sample of receptions. So um, I think ETN still has some work to do as a receiver, but he's going to be highly, highly involved in, in the Jag screen game. Um, let's talk Javante Williams. Cause you and I kind of had the same take right when he got drafted is like, maybe this isn't great for year one. I think you might be a little higher for year one than I am, but um, for long-term for dynasty, I, I think this is a fantastic spot for Javante, man. Like Melvin Gordon's 28. Uh, he's overpaid. He's not going to be on the roster in 2022. His deals up after this year. Um, and they don't have anything else on the, on the depth chart behind him. Sure. They're going to probably add a back or two there. They got Mike, Mike Boone, but um Yeah. Javante Williams, man, I think it's a great spot for him long-term. Um, I just, I'm still not entirely, I'm not entirely uh, sure that Melvin Gordon's just going to go away this year. Yeah. So, so this was certainly interesting to me. I, I like this landing spot just because I think other people are going to absolutely hate it when I think there is some hidden upside there. Um, so I think everyone's just imagining that this is going to be a running back by committee situation. And it certainly can be, maybe it's probably the case, but, uh, it was reported by Benjamin Albright that, uh, Denver was prepared to trade up for Najee Harris in the first round. If, um, if he fell past Pittsburgh, uh, that didn't happen, but he did trade up for Javante and, I was told last year, I, it, uh, Ian Rappaport reported it uh, as part of his podcast. Tom Palacero tweeted it out that Pat Shermer brought Melvin Gordon in as the bell cow. And then a Denver beat writer I, I talked to via DM told me that that was the plan, but he showed up out of shape in the offseason and he looked terribly. So it had turned into a committee situation uh, with him and Philip Lindsay. But it's notable that that's what Shermer was chasing. And if you look back at his history, he clearly prefers a bell cow running back. He's had some great ones. 
but he was prepared to get, I mean, look at what Saquon Barkley, the volume he handled in his rookie season, look at what uh, all-time bust Trent Richardson had in his rookie season. And so they chased that, you know, they, uh, they, they stood pat at running back when they didn't need to. Uh, they, they drafted a, a running back early with the Giants, with the Browns. Um, and he, he said before he prefers a bell cow. So I wonder if, you know, they were this aggressive chasing a running back because that's sort of integral to Shermer's offense, or that's just what he wants. And they don't trust Melvin Gordon in that role. So I wouldn't be shocked if maybe halfway through the season, this is just Javante's backfield and Javante, I know as a player, we both like the most predictive metric for college running backs transitioning to the NFL is missed tackles force per touch. And Javante set the record for that last year. So uh, player I like, and I, I think this could be a sneaky good landing spot. Maybe it's not, but but I think the potential's there. Yeah, for what it's worth, I just pulled it up. You and I are the only ones on staff out of you know us two, John, Joe, Tom, and Wes to have Javante Williams at two at running back. We both have him over ETN. Um, so love that for us. Um, but yeah, man, I think I think you nailed it with Williams. You know, um, he popped again. You know, he popped, he popped in. Uh, PFFs. I think he actually broke the PFF record in missed tackles for us, but he was, I think, top five or six in my numbers. I don't have it pulled up right in front of me. In terms of missed tackles forced, and you know, the little bit that he was used as a receiver, he only caught the ball 25 times because Michael Carter, you know, was they, they split you know targets and carries literally right down the middle at UNC. But the little bit that I did, you know, we we did get to see Williams catch the ball. Um, I liked what I saw, man. I mean, he, he had a little angle route, um, against a Virginia linebacker on a third and five UNC was down in the game. Uh, they had him in on third and five and he dusted a linebacker. Um, you know, he, he had a little route against Notre Dame where he had to, you know, run a little quick out against a, a linebacker and just, I think the linebacker literally fell over. Um, but, uh, Williams was, was overthrown. The ball wasn't caught. So there is, there is some major untapped potential, for him as a receiver. And I think anybody that has watched Williams play even five snaps or five carries knows that he is a freaking hellion, man. He's a Tasmanian devil with the ball in his hands. Um, uh, he popped into the 79th percentile in my yards created per attempt metric. He leads this class in yards created per attempt. Um, yeah, man, I, th- I think Williams is a fantastic prospect and long-term this really, really was a good spot because like you mentioned, I think you mentioned that they, they traded up for him. Um, all right. After yeah, I, I, go ahead. I just want to say, I didn't transcribe that post-draft press yeah. conference, but, uh, I did know Fangio, you know, he paid lip service to the other running backs that are there, but he did praise and the GM praise multiple times Javante as a well-rounded all around every down back praising him as a pass blocker and as a pass catcher. So I think that's notable. Um, I mean, we can work through the rest of the running backs fairly quickly here. You know, Kenneth Gainwell, who uh, I saw some potential in. Yeah, poor one out for uh, Gainwell, man. Fifth round pick. Yeah, RIP. Yeah. But uh, Trey, Trey Sermon, I mean, Wes Huber's guy, that that couldn't have been any more ideal. You had the draft capital, went to a great landing spot. You know, Shanahan has worked wonders with far lesser running backs throughout his career. I mean, Alf Morris, look at what he did. So there's certainly some upside there. Oh, Yeah. Oh yeah, baby. Um, I'll have an article up on Trey Sermon later this week, and he is the shoe in. Um, he's shoe in for for RB four, RB five. I mean, I think you can make the debate for Michael Carter just because the Jets are complete dust at, at running back behind Carter. But man, Sermon 
talk about a perfect fit. I mean, he is going to be gangbusters in outside zone. It's just, I have no idea how the touches are going to go here, man. I mean, they they kept Mostert. They love Jeff Wilson, especially in the red zone. They got Sermon. They also took Elijah Mitchell super late. The, the guy who ran a four, two, uh, at his pro day that I don't necessarily believe, but he's definitely fast as shit. This, uh, this backfield, man, is just a disaster for fantasy. I mean, like, cumulatively, they scored the third most fantasy points among all teams last year, which is unbelievable. Uh, but, but like, zero of them were useful on any consistent basis. And that's mainly because Andrews Mostert got hurt, obviously. Uh, but, man, I you know, I love Sermon's potential, love the player. But for fantasy, I have Michael Carter ahead of him just because he has a clear pathway to targets and touches on that team. Yeah, we, we all know the phrase shenanigans or however it's pronounced, shenanigans. Shanahanigans? Yeah, you got it right the but, first uh, time. <laughs> yeah, so, so I mean, that's been a thing since Mike Shanahan was a coach where, and I, I said this when he was drafted too, it's like I, I can't wait for the third highest owned San Francisco running back winning the Millie Maker across multiple weeks. Like that's just going to happen, and, and that's a that's a concern. I mean, if this is his guy – and he could stay healthy, you know, who knows what his upside could be, you know, Alf Morris plus, like I was alluding to before Michael Carter, I think is interesting. I did watch that, that press conference, didn't transcribe it, but had it on the background. Uh, Way to go Jets fans. I mean, they were prepared to take my guy, Elijah Moore, had he not traded up and had he been there at their first round pick, their second first round pick and Michael Carter, they wanted to take in round three. They didn't think he'd be there at round four. They got him in round four. Uh, Sermon has the, the better draft capital round three Carter first running back, uh, selected after him. Uh, and like you said, no one there and the guys who are there part of the old regime, Tevin Coleman, maybe he's the early down runner. Michael Carter is the pass catcher. I don't know, but, um, you know, they certainly like him a lot. They, they think he's capable on the ground as well as a pass catcher. So there's certainly some upside there. Um, I'll let you say your thoughts on, on him in a second, but after that, you know, Kenne Nwangwu, uh, hyper-athletic freak, not going to do much, buried behind Dalvin Cook on the depth chart. Maybe if there's an in- injury, that's interesting. Ramondre Stevenson, you know, he got some LeGarrette Blunt comps in the offseason. That's just going to be depth for Damian Harris, Sony Michelle, uh, similar style runner. Um, Chuba Hubbard in round four, I guess you could say, is the handcuff to Christian McCaffrey, which has value. Um, but I mean, I, I don't ever see yeah. him being like the PPR weapon that Mike Davis was in relief. Uh, but really, yeah, yeah. Just, just, just gross as I see it after Carter, you have any final thoughts on Carter before we move to, I don't know, tight end. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a Carter piece coming up. You know, it, it's just, it, I, I thought Williams was the better prospect and the data shows that too. Um, but yeah, Carter can, you know, I think immediately come in and, and be at worst the one a there. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the floor kind of splits touches because he comes from that McVay scheme. And, you know, obviously LaFleur saw, you know, Todd Gurley, you know, be the workhorse there. I don't think Carter's a workhorse at, at, you know, I don't think he has that in his range of outcomes, but with this depth chart right now, um, I think at worst, he's um, at worst, he's the one a, um, yeah, man, the rest of this class is just disgusting. I mean, ranking these guys after five is literally vomit inducing. Like I've got, 
we, we need to talk real quick about Atlanta and their <laughs> them not drafting a back because I have JVN Hawkins and um, uh, what's the oh, I just had it. Who's the other? Who's the other UDFA they picked up? I just completely oh, blanked on his name. I don't know these these guys. I don't think are going to be a thing. Well, they might be, man. If Mike Davis gets hurt, um, shit, I, I'm literally drunk. Oh, Caleb Huntley, the kid from the guy from Ball State, big bruiser. Um, they got Caleb Huntley and Javian Hawkins. I've got both those guys in my top fifteen at running back, and that just kind of shows you how shit awful this class is. Um, well, you have them top fifteen. Uh, Hawkins was. Chris Sims, RB3. <laughs> oh, my God. Ahead man. of Najee Harris. Yeah. Oh, wait. Didn't he have Michael, Michael Carter ahead of uh, Najee Harris, too? Oh, of course. Oh, well. I mean, talk about talk about trying to generate some outrage there, Mr. Chris Sims. Also had Justin Fields at 32 overall in his mock. Good job, buddy. Good job. Um, yeah, I, you know, this the, this class is, is gross. You mentioned on Chuba. He's strictly CMC's handcuff. Um, you actually put me on Wang Wu. I don't know if you know that, um, but you had him at like, I don't know, maybe 14 or 15 or something like that before the draft in your rookie ranks. And I did a double take on him. That was a good call on your part. Um, Greg Cosell wrote him up too. And I, of course, don't have it pulled up because the, the thing won't work. But um, I think he, I think Cosell watched him and liked him a little bit and thought he had a, thought he had a place, um, you know, obviously in the NFL, but man. Yeah, he was he was buried on the depth chart yeah. behind David Montgomery and Brees Hall, who are you know phenomenal running backs. He's probably not anywhere near their caliber, but few running backs are. Four point three one forty year dash that would rank behind only Chris Johnson, if that was accomplished at a combine instead of his pro day. Elite speed score, basically tied with Jonathan Taylor. So he was a spork freak for me so he really popped in that but there wasn't much to like beyond that yeah get your sporks out man get your sporks out all right <laughs> uh all right let's get to receivers because i think tight end will be real quick um a little bit of a surprise that the Bengals went with jamar chase at five i thought they'd go sewell and my my wallet thought they'd go sewell too um but yeah they took they took joe burrow's guy jamar chase obviously there's you know immediate rapport between those two um, I think Chase is the alpha immediately. I think it hurts T. Higgins uh, short and long term. Um, I think we're going to see Chase like immediately walk into an 18 to 20 percent target share. And then um, I think you have a hard time uh, figuring out, you know, I think we, we you and I had this conversation between who's the 101 in non superflex leagues. I, I think it's Harris, um, but I see I see how it could be a hard time deciding between Harris and Chase. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, pre-draft he was clearly the best wide receiver in my model, or pre pre combine best wide receiver in my model since at least 2015. You factor in the athleticism, and it's like, okay, he's in that AJ Green, Julio Jones here as like special, special, generational, special. Um, and I really believe that. So uh, being paired up with his college quarterback, there's that immediate rapport, uh, a, a good story on Chase. Yeah, actually, well, you just talked about it being a close call between him and Penny Sewell. I don't know how much I can trust hashtag sources, but you know, I, I had a source tell me that uh, the head coach, Zach Taylor, wanted Penny Sewell. The offensive line coach wanted Rashawn Slater. The ownership wanted Chase. Burrow wanted Chase. And we know how that plays out. Um, so I, I don't know if it was a tough call or wasn't. I, I watched the presser. It didn't seem, you know, 
Taylor didn't give any secrets away. Uh, but one interesting little tidbit was the interview with Jamar Chase, where he talked about how he sets goals for himself and he has little sticky notes uh, that he tapes to the mirror and he looks at every single day. And one of them was like, you know, uh, breaking a bunch of records and receiving yards and touchdowns, which he did, you know, winning the national championship, which he did. And so they asked him what his goals were going to be as a rookie. And he said, I'm going to win the rookie of the year. I'm going to have at least 10 touchdowns and at least 1500 yards at the minimum. (laughs) Imagine if he does that. Holy shit. This guy's special, man. This guy is, this guy's real special. Burrow needs to get healthy quick if if that's going to happen. Yeah, man, that's the thing. And, and, you know, the offensive line is still a big concern. Um, They did take Jackson Carmen in the second round. He's a, he's, he can play inside or outside. Um, It'd be interesting to see how they develop him, but man, yeah, this offensive line is still a big concern. Uh, I think we're going to see Burrow get the ball out quick and, and let Jamar do his thing because there's literally no red flags uh, with with Chase's profile, man. Um, I knew he would be the fifth round pick once I saw a picture like an hour and a half before the draft. The dude was wearing uh, some pretty dope Bengals colored sneakers yeah. with like an all white suit or something. So that was a lock um, after that. Kind of the, the bigger surprise, I think, was the six overall pick and Miami taking Jalen Waddle. Uh, Waddle is, man, I mean, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing the NFL shift. You know, we saw it last year with, with Henry Ruggs, too. We're seeing this at the NFL shift just to, I think, personally, overdrafting the super speedy but kind of raw route running receivers. And Waddle is, is certainly that. Not, that's not taking anything away from Waddle because, I mean, he's a hell of a player and a lot of fun to watch, but um, man, he's going to step into this offense now with Fuller and Devonte Parker and Mike Gesicki, who's basically just a big slot receiver. Uh, Scott, man, they are, they are doing everything within their power to make sure Tua has as many weapons to, to figure out if he's their quarterback of the future. Yeah. I just love that Jalen Waddle was asked in March who he preferred <laughs> uh, between Tua Tagovailoa and, uh, Mac Jones. And he was like, Oh, Mac Jones, that's my guy. Yeah. Oh man, he's great. Have you seen it? And it's just like, yeah, I'm that. exaggerating a little bit, but uh, also if you look at uh, Waddle's numbers with Tua Tagovailoa, that he was easily Tua's least efficient receiver, you know, when targeting him, he was more efficient when targeting Devonta by far, Judy Ruggs, Irv Smith. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a stacked receiving room right there with, you know, a lot of speed, Will Fuller on the outside, Devontae Parker on the outside, Mike Jasicki at tight end, and then you know Waddle's going to be in the slot. He's going to return kicks. According to Ian Rappaport, uh, the only guy Miami was looking at above him was Trevor Lawrence. They, they had wow. Waddle as their number two player, which is which is crazy. But you, you can see how he sort of fits better, I guess. You know, they needed that slot when Jamar Chase is an X. Yeah, since he's offensive coordinator said said chase is going to play the aj green x role for them uh but i mean i don't know why you would pass on a, a chase for waddle but uh but yeah i mean he gives them speed and you know he's a fun player he's exciting he got a lot of tyree kill comps but so did a lot of players who were never anything close to tyree kill yeah i mean waddle man after the catch is just unbelievable i mean he had a he had an average depth of target of 6.4 that was like outside of the top 20 in this class overall, but he averaged nearly, uh, nearly 12 yards after the catch over the last two combined years. So just, uh, I mean, he's, he is going to be a lot of fun in that offense, but for fantasy, 
how do you see him for fantasy? Because I think Waddle's been one of the hardest players for for me to kind of get my head around here. Yeah, I mean, that's the the tough question. You know, could he be an undersized, speedy possession slot like Tyreek Hill is, or is he more on the Deshaun Jackson, yeah. Henry Rugg spectrum? I, I think he's somewhere in between there, but there are a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of target competition. And then, you know, Tua did have some concerns in his rookie year. Um, I, I don't remember what my ranks are. I like to defer to draft capital usually, but I think I'm going to have Devonta Smith a little bit higher. Uh, before we move to Smith, uh, just wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor for today's show. And our sponsor's us. Hell. If you're not subscribed. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not subscribed to fantasypoints.com, what are you doing, idiot? Subscribe and use promo code Barrett10. Do not use promo code Barfield10. Promo code Barrett10. Uh, subscribe. We got you covered. DFS, Draft, Dynasty, Devi, you name it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. We got a bunch of stuff coming out this week too. Super excited about it. We'll have projections done. Um, I think John said he's, he's grinding away on those. We might have projections up by the end of this week, so we'll see on that. But yeah, now's the time to get in. Uh, I, want, I want to do a ranking summit. I think we're going to do a yeah. ranking summit where, you know, we live stream it for subs and we just like debate where, you know, you're like, Waddle is better than Smith. And I'm like, you idiot. Yes. Yeah, we should do that, man. I think we're going to do a little powwow with uh, with Greg Cosell and Adam Kaplan again. Uh, oh, not, yeah. not this week, but next week. We'll do uh, two days, AFC and NFC. So you're Try, trying to get those sources from Adam because he was money last year. Yeah, he was. And my sources have, have betrayed me during this draft season. So yeah, Kaplan has, he's absolutely nailed a couple things. Can't wait to hear what he says about the bears. Cause he's, he's usually spot on with the bears. Uh, can't wait to hear what he says about fields, but, um, but yeah, man, I, I, th- I think transitioning back, I, I'm with you on Devonta Smith at two. That's why I have him. Um, you know, if, if Jalen Rager is, is, I mean, man, I, I love Jalen Rager last year, but I'm, I'm more than willing to take a, a gigantic L on that one. Um, if Rager is nothing more than just like, whatever, a flanker, Devontae Smith has a legitimate chance to see more targets than Chase. Um, the Eagles have nothing, nothing in the receiver core besides Rager. Um, obviously Goddard is going to, you know, command a pretty strong target share. Um, yeah, you know, the only concern man for, for Devontae you know, cause I, I have a feeling the Eagles are going to line him up all over the field. They're going to line Rager up all over the field. He's not going to just be lined up at the X and face press coverage all the time, which by the way, I think he'd be just fine facing press. But that being said, you know, the biggest concern here is, is Jalen Hurts and his development. And, you know, we love Hurts for fantasy. I know you and I are, are probably going to be the highest at the site on Hurts for fantasy, but there's serious, serious accuracy concerns here. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of like Hertz. I, I kind of have some optimism. I think maybe even more so than the accuracy concerns is what you is volume concerns, which you yeah. see with some of these Konami code quarterbacks, you know, fleeing the pocket to, to take a run. That's great for fantasy, but doesn't really help out the receivers at all. Um, I mean, they made it clear, you know, he's not going to be put on putting on any weight. Like his frame is so maxed out. Yeah. Um, the Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni uh, said it's not a concern for them, but they kind of strike me as dummies. So I don't know. I, I like Devonta. I'm willing to overlook it. And, you know, special player, everyone in Alabama 
uh, said he was the best football player they've ever seen. You know, all the cornerbacks who faced him said basically the exact same thing. Um, so I, I, I'm willing to say, hey, he's just an outlier. He's a special, special talent. And uh, hopefully they use him the right way year one, which is going to be, you know, in the slot, avoiding yeah. uh, press corners, like you mentioned. Uh, next up is another really tricky guy to evaluate. Kadarius Tony yeah. went 20th overall pick, fourth wide receiver drafted. Dynasty had him wide receiver 10. And we knew all along the NFL loved this guy. Uh, there wasn't much to take away from the, the press conferences, but uh, this is a guy with a ton of upside. You know, you can knock him for the late breakout age, but I mean, he, he was a quarterback all throughout high school, didn't really see the field. And then once he was a starter, he was exceptional. He, off the charts, he moved in a way I've never seen a receiver moved. And, and he made tremendous growth from week one or to his you know seventh game played. It was like two different players. So upside off the charts. Uh, athleticism off the charts. Uh, and, you know, I think that's an interesting, interesting fit there uh, alongside Kenny Galladay. He was a Juco guy, right? Kadarius? No, my, my thing with him was, I, I was saying my model hated him, but if I, if I said he was a Juco oh, guy, okay. where I only looked at his 2020, like he could be top five in my model, right, right, right. which is maybe how you should look at him just, just based on his, his history. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, yeah, he, he was a transfer. Um, I mean, obviously Tony is a lot of fun after the catch, man. I mean, the, you know, he popped in all the missed tackle four stuff that you want to look at. You know, that's just that's you, a- sorry, sorry. You see the NFL overvalue these guys yeah. historically, though, where it's like, oh, those wow plays, yeah. and then they just like, but they're not refined route runners and they're not used as possession receivers, and like they draft these guys round one for like two jet sweeps per game, <laughs> yeah. and it's like. What are you doing? And like, so that's the big fear with with Tony in my eyes. Dude, I have I really have no um, opinion either way of Tony as a prospect. I mean, I, I've talked to you and TJ and a bunch of sharp people about Tony, and um, you know, there's there's kind of there's different takes wherever you go. And you know, obviously the upside is what it is. I mean, you watch one game and you see it, um, and then you know you have the concerns where he's basically has no production in his profile. Um, and those guys typically do not pay, pan out, especially in the first round. Above all that, man, the biggest concern here is Jason Garrett. I mean, we're really, <laughs> we're really trusting Jason Garrett to get all these pieces right. We're really trusting Jason Garrett to to maximize what is at best an average offensive line. You know, I get they're going to get uh, they're going to get Solder back, and you know they've got Pierre at right tackle. But I mean, Andrew Thomas allowed the most pressures in the NFL last year, allowed the most sacks in the NFL last year. Um, Man, I, I just, I, you know, I loved Gettleman trading back finally. He did it twice. Uh, I loved him getting a first round from the Bears, which might, you know, they're, I think you and I are on the same page with that. They're a bottom five organization right now. I loved all that. I did not love Tony. Maybe he, you know, maybe he stuck at 20 because he knew the Jags would take him at 25. Uh, but I felt like it was an overpay. And, um, you know, the biggest concern here is, is Garrett and how these pieces all mesh together, um, you know. You're, you're really going to take Kadarius Tony at 20 overall when you've got a passable slot receiver at Sterling in Sterling Shepard. Um, I, I kind of just don't understand the process at this point, but um, it remains to be seen. I'm very skeptical that Jason Garrett can pull all this off. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, let's look at the next wide receiver who uh, the fantasy community loved. Uh, I liked quite a bit. Uh, I think my wide receiver five 
Uh, Rashad Bateman yeah. went to Baltimore. I think that's a, a great fit for Lamar owners. I think that's a horrible fit for Bateman owners. Uh, it's just, you know, Baltimore led the league in point differential last year. That's a lot of positive game script, which, you know, means they don't really need to keep their foot on the gas, uh, ranked dead last in pass attempts. And then on those uh, pass attempts, Lamar Jackson ranked bottom 10 in uh, uh, accurate pass percentage, which is, is, is a number PFF charters come up with. So it throws drops out of the window. It just looks at how accurate where these balls thrown to the receivers. So, so accuracy concerns, volume concerns, in addition to ranking dead last in pass attempts last season, they like didn't lose anyone. They lost like Willie Sneed and Des Bryant. Okay. And they added Sammy Watkins and now Rashad Bateman. Uh, and, and, and how do they use these wide receivers? Are they going to put Hollywood Brown in the slot? I would, I would like that yeah. as a dynasty owner who, who has quite a bit of him. Uh, but just big shout out to Rashad Bateman for, for jumping on this live grenade. So my guy, Elijah Moore can, you know, slip past the first round, go to a slightly more favorable spot. Yeah, man. I, I, um, yeah, pretty much. I, I agree with everything you said there. Hollywood. I was looking into this cause I had the same exact thought this weekend, like where are they going to put Hollywood now? And last year they only had him lined up in the slot 23% of the time, which I think, I think I was, yeah, it was me, you and Joe, we were messaging, messaging about this over the weekend. Like I'm with you on Lamar and the accuracy concern. That's obvious, but I, I still, man, like, Last year, at least, Roman didn't really do Lamar a whole lot of favors in terms of the way this passing offense was built. I mean, they, they're obviously built on play action, and a lot of those play action concepts are super, super deep down the field. So you're going to naturally going to get some some inaccurate passes just because of the nature of those throws. That being said, too, I mean, like, how many times did we see Hollywood Brown get a screen? How many times did Hollywood Brown line up in the slot? I mean, we want our our speedy, small guys to kind of line up in the slot. I mean, when T.Y. Hilton was T.Y. Hilton and he was playing for Andrew Luck and was a wide receiver one, he was lining up in the slot like 45, 50% of the time. So I think that's why they drafted Bateman. That's why they drafted Tylen Wallace, who I, I thought was a steal. Uh, Tylen Wallace was there. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to see Hollywood in the slot. We'll see Mark Andrews in the slot. And overall, the pieces in this offense are are pretty nice, man. I mean, you know, the offensive line is is still above average, top 10, top 12. Um, and now they've got two great boundary receivers between Bateman and Wallace. But for fantasy, it's it's uh, it's it's sketchy, man. I mean, 2019, uh, the Ravens wide receiver group as a whole was bottom uh, b- above, below average in fantasy points scored last year. 2020, they were uh, 26 among all teams in fantasy points scored. So, man, like it's just it's tough scenes for for any of these receivers if you have them for dynasty and. Uh, real quick, I want to pour. I want to pour one out for my guy, Devin Duvernay. I, I love Devin Duvernay as a prospect last year as like a third, fourth round pick because uh, I'm enamored with the speed guys. But uh, yeah, pour one out for him and Miles Boykin. Um, let's keep it moving here, man. Let's get to Elijah Moore because I know you're chomping at the bit to uh, to talk about him. Um, the Jets, man, home run first three picks. Uh, you know, you you take Zach Wilson, you move up. And get Elijah Vera Tucker to uh, to play to play guard. Um, actually, want to ask you about that. Have you read anything about Vera Tucker? Do you think they're going to play him at guard or tackle? Have you have you got to the press conference yet? No, I I, I think they praised his versatility, okay. but that's something that's still up in the air. Okay, yeah. So then they get Elijah Moore. Uh, man, Elijah Moore, like perfect, perfect fit. 
in this offense, I think they're going to cut Jamison Crowder because they can save a ton of money by doing so before the June one cutoff date uh, for veterans. So yeah, I think Elijah Moore is their day one uh, starter in the slot and he might be the best route runner in this class. Yeah, you, you all know by now where I stand on Elijah Moore. That's one of my guys. Just absolutely love him. I also love that it came out, uh, I guess, during the draft or after the draft, Elijah was hanging out with A.J. Brown, who, you know, I don't know how they caught this on video, but A.J. Brown just could not stop crying. He was so excited, so happy for his guy, Elijah Moore, which just like, first off, like, you need people like that in your life. Like, amazing. What an amazing friend. And what a likable guy. AJ Brown is and all of these Ole Miss wide receivers. Like I follow Elijah Moore on Twitter and like, that's exactly what you want your prospects Twitter to look like. He's just like, love God. God is good. Love my family. My mom's the best. And like, God's great. And it's just like, what, what a great stand up guy. But what was so uh, shocking from that video was AJ Brown was effusive in praise as it relates to Elijah Moore. He was saying, bruh, I, I never told you this, bro, but you're better than me, bro. You're better than me. You do stuff I still can't do. You came in as like a 19-year-old freshman. Uh, A.J. Brown's like three years older. And you were teaching me stuff. And you're teaching me stuff I still can't do. Like you, your talent's off the charts. Like you say you're going to be the best. I believe it. I believe it 100%. Like you are you are a superstar. Your talent's off the charts. You're, you are so special you're better than me. And it's like, whoa, hearing AJ Brown, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL say that just makes me feel that much more convicted in my Elijah Moore love. And, you know, maybe he, he, he fell because, you know, Baltimore wanted an outside wide receiver to push Hollywood into the slot. Elijah Moore, probably a slot, but um, this is exciting. And like, you know, as a a big Zach Wilson fan too, I think they're going to be good for a really long time. I thought about it. I was like, oh man, you know, this is kind of like, since he drafting Joe Burrow and then T Higgins with their first two picks. Uh, and like they call. just like got off to a roaring start. So I went back and I looked how many times like a round one quarterback was drafted alongside a round two wide receiver. Like it never hit, but like in my mind, like it should hit where it's like, these guys come in together. They work on their craft together, you know, build that a rapport from day one. They're going to be together for the entirety of the, their rookie contract, maybe more like that's going to be his guy from day one and moving forward. I don't know, man, but I, I'm excited. The, the Jets said they would have taken him with their round one pick had he not traded up for a position of need. You know, Zach Wilson, I love Zach Wilson, but he looks like Justin Bieber, and I just, like, worry about <laughs> the punishment he's going to be taking. So, like, good to get him an offensive lineman, but to get him Elijah Moore on top of that, like, they were beside themselves. And, you know, if I'm a Jet fan, I'm excited. I'm an Elijah Moore fan, and I'm excited. Yeah, man, I, I think it's crazy with – uh with all these Ole Miss receivers to come out, Elijah Moore was by far, by far had the, uh, the earliest draft capital. Uh, Metcalf went 64. Uh, Brown, I believe went 51. And then, then obviously Elijah was an early second. So super interesting that, that Moore ends up with, uh, you know, they're all second round picks, but Moore was, was by far drafted earlier. Um, I think he can play outside too, man. I think he's going to be majority slot. Um, but, I think he's got the, the the route running savvy and the separation skills to play outside too. Uh, Cosell in his uh, in his um, in his profiles in our in our fantasy points draft guide mentioned that Moore is an explosive multi dimensional matchup weapon who could be a playmaker from anywhere on the field. And he kind of he kind of noted that you know he he has a vertical threat too. It's not just he's a short area 
you know, kind of shake and bake guy. He, he can get deep too. So a uh, super versatile, super fun weapon for, for the jets here. And I think he meshes well with, with the rest of the receiving core too. Like, you know, Denzel Mims probably isn't going to be anything for fantasy, but I think he's going to be a fine boundary guy for this year. Super athletic. Um, you know, so I, I man, I, my biggest takeaway is the jets and Joe Douglas. Absolutely crush this draft. I think they had my favorite draft besides maybe the chargers. Um, okay. Uh, let's see who is up next. Rondell Moore. You want to talk more? All right, go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, so I, I didn't like the fit from one angle, which is just, you know, Kyler Murray accuracy concerns paired mm-hmm. with Rondell Moore's minimal catch radius, you know, miniature catch radius. Uh, but I do like it from the aspect of like, I think this is going to be who Cliff Kingsbury wanted Andy Isabella to be, which is to say, you know, a speedy dynamic guy who creates yards after the catch. Uh, he can get him the manufactured touches he needs. It's going to be big for fantasy, you know, maybe a PPR cheat code. He's going to get some jet sweeps, things like that. Uh, you know, Larry Fitzgerald's a free agent is Rondell yep. Moore. their starting slot moving forward. Um, and I just, I, you know, I, I, I like Rondale more. I trust his talent. Uh, landing spot, solid. I mean, Arizona, what, they rank top three in, in plays per game every year. It's a fast-paced offense. I think uh, I think there's some upside there. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm with you on more. I kind of came around on it too. Um, also, Kyler Murray and Rondale Moore are both like 5'5", five, five, so maybe they'll have that in common and get on the same page with that. But uh, yeah, you know, I think we're going to see the Cardinals finally do what they've wanted to do all along and, and run more four wide stuff. You know, that's what fake shark Cliff Kingsbury has been wanting to do uh, his whole time. And and I think, you know, now with Kirk and more probably both occupying both slot positions, you could play Kirk outside a little bit. He's not, you know, he's not a great separator on the boundary. He can play outside. Hopkins is only going to strictly play in his one spot. Um, but I think, you know, drafting more kind of gives them the, the versatility they've been missing to go into the four wide stuff. But um, I think you mentioned it. Kyler's Kyler's over the middle accuracy is a legitimate concern. And uh, it's one of the things I think they identified more to kind of help with, you know, Fitzgerald is by no means, and I, I love Larry Fitzgerald, but he's by no means a, uh, he's basically a big tight end at this point. He is not separating at all over the middle of the field. And Rondell Moore will be able to get open uh, a lot quicker than anything they've had between him and Kirk. Um, all right, let's go to Terrence Marshall here. Um, actually I skipped over Dwayne Eskridge who I, real quick, let's, let's talk Eskridge and then we'll get to Marshall. I thought let's do, let's do quick, quick hits on each. It's, yeah. it's Eskridge, Atwell, Marshall, yeah. Palmer, Diami, what did, Amari. Yeah. What did you make of the Eskridge pick, man? Like that was something I didn't, I mean, <laughs> death taxes in the Seahawks drafting a fourth round guy in the second round. I mean, it, this it's like every year with this team, especially given they only have three picks. I just thought the Eskridge pick was bizarre from a, team building standpoint too. Yeah. I, so I, I was in that rookie draft, so I just skimmed through the presser and it, I, I was left like underwhelmed, you know, they, they legitimately praised him as a versatile weapon in the sense that he contributes on special teams and as a cornerback, which is a position he played in college. Uh, and that was a reason they drafted him, which like, you don't love to hear from a wide receiver. Uh, but I mean, this was a guy they coveted. They, they wanted, all along. And, you know, he really has the draft capital behind him. Uh, I talked to Danny Kelly, who hated the pick at first, then came around on it. Uh, he said he likes him as an underneath option, yards after the catch, 
he thought the one issue with the Seahawks offense was they didn't have anyone to hit the layups where they just had the two home run guys in Lockett and Metcalf, and this is going to be their guy to hit the layups. I think that's interesting. I ultimately, I, I don't know where to stand And the same thing for Atwell too, who, you know, major weight issues. Uh, I liked him. My model liked him even after factoring in the, the weight concerns liked him. Um, but I mean, this was really early and the same thing with the press conference where it was weird, where they, you know, they, they praised special teams and they, uh, talked about depth and like McVay would love a wide receiver by committee situation, you know, a matchup guy where Atwell plays 40 snaps one week and then 10 snaps the next week and then 20 snaps the, the week after that. And like, that would be so phenomenally gross in a way that like you just totally see coming. Uh, uh, Terrace Marshall, uh, I love, uh, we'll spend a little bit more time on him. Uh, he fell due to injury concerns, but I think he's far more of a high-level prospect, all well-rounded prospect than Eskridge or Atwell are. Uh, he gets paired back up with Joe Brady. I think if he's their slot option, that's especially interesting. Sam Darnold's most targeted receiver, uh, dating back to his final year at college, was a slot-wide receiver. Then it was Quincy Anunwa. Then it was Jamison Crowder. And even when Crowder got hurt, it was Braxton Berrios. I don't know that he's going to be the slot, but he he did play a lot in the slot at college. Josh Palmer uh, wasn't a guy my model liked, but uh, you know all the film evaluators I talked to, Mike Renner, Danny Kelly, Jim Nagy, all love Josh Palmer. And really, Tennessee's offense is a mess, just like it was when Alvin Kamara was there. So it's like you have to, you know, they're not going to pop by the numbers of the model, but but he's a high level talent who beat up on NFL caliber cornerbacks. Uh, Diami Brown didn't have the draft capital, but he was a prospect a lot of people love, and it, it seems like a great landing spot for him in Washington. Uh, same thing can be said for Amari Rogers, uh, Nico Collins, too. Anthony Schwartz, the youngest wide receiver in the class, also the fastest. He's a little interesting in Cleveland. Uh, but those are just the, the quick hits I have in the wide receivers. Any of these you want to dig deeper into? Um yeah, on Eskridge, real quick. I think I think that's a really interesting point from from Danny Kelly because um, Tyler Lockett is is you know fifty sixty percent slot. So I, I'm assuming they view you know Eskridge as a guy who can play outside. And I, Cosell uh, Cosell said that too in his write up. Um, so maybe I, maybe I should be a little less hard on the pick. But uh, man, Atwell is like off my radar for fantasy. Dude's one forty nine. Like. <laughs> like if we want to talk about BMI and, and weight concerns with, with Devonta Smith, like uh, if you, if you want to play that game, Tutu Atwell is, is just so slight. Like these guys just do not, do not get volume. I wonder if they see him as like, you know, a, a Tavon Austin type of comp, uh, you know, with as much tight formation that McVay loves to run with the, you know, the fake, you know, the fake jet sweeps and kind of building that as a foundation of their, uh, of the run and pass game, you're going to see Atwell run, run a lot of those kind of, you know, orbit motions and jet sweep motions and stuff in this offense. But man, he's, he's not going to get any sort of volume. If anything, he's just going to open up a couple more lanes for woods and, and cup. Um, and then Marshall, um, I think we're going to see DJ more in the slot. And if that's true and we get word, we should ask Adam Kaplan about that. Uh, next week, what he thinks will will, will happen. Um, obviously, Samuel was their full time slot guy um, last year. Uh, that that role is vacated. I think more. 
I think we'll see more play that. It'll be interesting to see what what happens with Marshall, Marshall's medicals too, because he's uh, he might take some time to come along. Um, one qu- real quick, somebody we got to talk about, man, is Wes Huber's guy, Amon Ross St. Brown. The Lions did not take a receiver um, on day one or day two, but they did take Amon Ross St. Brown as the wide receiver two off the board in day three after the Titans took Des Fitzpatrick. Um, man, the Lions have dust at wide receiver. I'm pretty sure, Scott, you could line up out there and get a couple targets for them uh, this, this season if you needed to. But, man, it's right now I'm on Ross A. Brown has literally no competition for slot snaps um, and honestly very little target competition outside of TJ Hawkinson and, and uh, DeAndre Swift. And, you know, Jared Goff, while he has some, you know, obviously obvious, uh, you know, obvious uh, limitations as a passer, um, Goff was more than fine to keep, you know, Cup and Woods fantasy viable for, you know, the entirety of his time with the Rams. So um, love the landing spot for Amon Ray St. Brown, even though he fell in the draft. Um, he was a day two guy by most people that, you know, you and I, you know, I've, you and I've talked to and you and I trust. Um, I, I love the spot for St. Brown. And I think he's, out, you know, out, outside of once you get past like, man, really Elijah Moore. In terms of capital and rookie ranks, I think Amon Ray St. Brown is like immediately uh, going to be, you know, fantasy relevant in week one. Yeah, so I, I actually disagree with you. I, I was lower than consensus on Amon Ross St. Brown. It worried me because like Wes and some other smart people really liked him. So I had him wide receiver 16. He went wide receiver 17 in the draft. So I, I'm sort of compelled to not really move him up much. And I, I, I might prefer to take dart throw shots on you know, one of the other wide receivers like Quintez Cephas, who I, I did kind of like as a sleeper last year. I mean, yeah, the immediate landing spot's good, but at the end of the day, deferring to draft capital where he went, that's that's not ideal. And hey, I mean, Des Fitzpatrick to Tennessee, like what wide receivers did he have there uh, behind A.J. Brown? That was Greg Cassell's guy who yeah. went above him, and that's a, a pretty great landing spot as well. So, I mean, yeah, but with the round four and later wide receivers, you, you really can't expect too much. Yeah. You know, it's just, a, it's just such a good spot for St. Brown, just because like I mentioned, they just have no, no pass targets. Um, you know, I think the biggest concern for St. Brown as a prospect is how much can he play outside? Is he just strictly a slot guy? Um, but, you know, I know Cosell comped him to Robert Woods, who early in his career was, was, you know, and even with the Rams now, he's still 50% slot. So, um, yeah, interesting kind of corollary there between Jared Goff throwing to Woods and him now throwing to St. Brown. Um, all right, let's get to tight ends. And really, it's going to be a quick conversation because it's Kyle Pitts, it's Kyle Pitts, and then it's Kyle Pitts um, one more time. So, um, Kyle Pitts does go four overall to the Falcons. Um, this offense between Julio, between Ridley, between Pitts, man, like they are, they are freaking stacked. Um, we're going to see Pitts play – in line, we'll see him play at X. We'll see him play in the slot. And um, I think Jeremy Shockey's rookie record of most fantasy points scored by a rookie tight end is is going to be threatened here, man, because, like, you know, Ridley and Julio will get their 25 28% target share. And then I think it, I think we're going to see Pitts around 18 or 20%, man. You don't take a, a tight end with his caliber and his NFL readiness and arguably the, the best non-quarterback prospect in this class, you don't see him go four overall without spoon feeding him targets. So 
yeah, man, I know you love, uh, I know you love Kyle Pitts and I know um, you and I are on the same page that he's already the dynasty tight end one. Yeah. So that's only if Julio Jones is there, you know, there's still speculation. He can get traded, uh, I guess, after June one, when it makes more sense from a cap perspective. My biggest thing though, is it's like, you know, he's 32 and he still has a shit ton of money left on his contract. I, I kind of felt like that was a little bit of smoke. Them just trying to move for overall, like you know, there there had to be. I, mean, some... I could see uh, Gruden trading for him. I could see well, the Packers <laughs> trying to trade for him. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see John Gruden trying to trade for him. That's for sure. I mean, I mean, Gruden Kust just you know calls up Rogers like, "Hey, we're gonna get Julio for you, and here's your new deal." And he's gonna be like, "All right, love you guys. <laughs> All's well." <laughs> yep. Um, That's fair. But but I, yeah. This this was the the landing spot you're hoping for. Miami wasn't as ideal. I don't think Cincinnati was as yeah, I, ideal. Yeah. And you know, he gets paired up with former tight ends coach Arthur Smith. Uh, so last year, only five tight ends saw triple digit targets. Only two tight ends had 800 or more receiving yards. Delaney Walker did that in four straight seasons when Arthur Smith was his tight end coach. So uh, I, I do like this landing spot, and everyone knows where I stand on him as a talent. Where Hey man, this this guy is going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's he's really good. Yeah, dude. Um, this offense for fantasy is going to be unbelievable because the Falcons, man, the Falcons did take a safety. They traded back a couple times to get their guy. Um, their their secondary is trash. They have no pass rush. Uh, th- this team is probably going to be bottom three, bottom four in points, yards, every efficiency metric allowed on defense. And uh, yeah, we'll get to see uh, one of the most fun trios of weapons um, in a long time between Julio and Ridley and Pitts. Just, man, fingers crossed that, that Julio, first of all, doesn't get traded because you, you raise a good point. I think the Packers are, are legitimate. Um, Packers are, are trying everything to get Aaron Rodgers to come back home. But uh, yeah, man, I think I think it's it's fantastic for for Matt Ryan and Matt Ryan, man, I, I have a bunch of dynasty shares of him on, on Superflex, So I'm, I'm thrilled with the pick. Um, let's talk quickly about Pat Fryermuth. Um, Steelers. I think I, I mentioned it earlier, but the Steelers somewhat surprisingly took him 54, 55 overall. Some, uh, one of those two, um, didn't go O-line. They took Fryermuth. Uh, you know, I don't really have a strong opinion either way of him as a prospect. I just, you know, I just find it curious that the Steelers didn't go O-line there. And, and um, yeah, man, I, I still think even with Ebron and all of their, um, you know, all their weapons, Frymuth is still the, the easy tight end too. And what is a garbage class after Kyle Pitts? Yeah, I think Pittsburgh was, was thinking, you know, he should help the, the run game. He's one of the highest rated run blockers in this class. Uh, I, I think it's really interesting. He went to Pittsburgh, when Greg Cassell was effusive in praise and comped him to Heath Miller, yep. uh, which I mean, if you get Heath Miller, like that's, that's a, a really solid player. Um, what was it? Maybe 10 straight seasons with 500 or more receiving yards, maybe more than that. Um, yeah. I mean, nowhere near on the pits level from a fantasy perspective, but he could be like a solid, I don't know, Austin Hooper plus, I, I don't know. Ooh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. I think he's a better blocker than Hooper. Hooper's Hooper's never been, 
Cooper's always kind of gotten overrated, I think, as a uh, as an inline player. Um, but yeah, man, I, I think um, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think they they definitely view Fryermuth as a blocker uh, first and foremost, which goes back to my original point. Why not just take an offensive lineman there? But uh, whatever. Uh, Tommy Trimble um, goes to the Panthers. Um, you know, Cosell mentioned in his notes that Tommy Trimble is like one of the best if not the best run blocker in this draft class. And he's obviously an amazing athlete. I know he popped in your spork stuff. Um, obviously he's just, you know, Trimble's just blocked with all the, the weapons they have there. But I, I do think Trimble's kind of interesting in some of the tight end premium formats we play in because in some of those rookie drafts, he did not get drafted. Yeah. I mean, I, I like Hunter long more, but uh, Trimble's an intriguing guy. He, he was projected to go as the third tight end off the board. Um, you know, never had 20 catches in a single season. So he didn't even qualify for my pre-combine model. The question is, could he be, you know, a true sample or a George Kittle where, you know, they, they get drafted higher or he is that get drafted higher than expected. Uh, and you hope the pass catching could come along. Mike Renner favorite Renner says, yeah, he's, he sees that upside. Uh, he just wasn't used that way. He is the best run blocker in the class, maybe behind Fryermuth. Fryermuth, by the way, don't sleep on him as a pass catcher. You know, really solid pass catcher as well. Uh, he's going to be a clear upgrade on Ian Thomas, who, you know, Carolina clearly hated. Um, he's interesting. I mean, I, I like Hunter Long more, but uh, um, yeah, there's some upside there. Yeah, I mean, for fantasy, there's not much, at least immediately. Um, simply because, I mean, they got just so many damn weapons now. Um, yeah, Tommy Trimble only had 35 career uh, receptions at Notre Dame. Uh, he, I believe he was a transfer. No, he was, a, he, was he a Juco guy too? Do you remember? Or was he a redshirt? I can't, I can't remember. Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. I just know they have the guy who's supposed to be yeah. the next Rob Gronkowski. Yeah. There. Yeah. yeah. Well, they had Colt Komet too. Um, Notre Dame has just been a freaking tight end factory, man. But uh, um, all right. Any other tight ends you want to talk about? Brevin? Yeah, man. I, I want to talk about Hunter Long. Okay, go for it. Uh, yeah, so he actually went before Tommy Tremble. He went two picks before. He went to Miami, which yeah. I think, you know, I was never a Mike Jasecki guy. Jasecki's on the last year of his rookie deal. I wouldn't be surprised if he's just gone and they're hoping Hunter Long takes over. Uh, he was praised by NFL draft pundits as being an all-around complete tight end, capable blocker. I actually didn't see that. I, I sort of disagreed. I thought his uh, what's exciting about him is is as a pass catcher, his 2019 season as, as a sophomore is really interesting. Uh, it was the second best season by yards per route run by any Power Five tight end since 2016. That's one of the most predictive, important variables. Um, hyper efficient that season. He ranked second best since 2015 and uh, also yards per target yards after the catch per reception. And then last year you see all of those numbers take a massive nosedive where he wasn't efficient at all. He switched to more of a pro style offense, but he was their wide receiver one. Uh, he saw 89 targets, 24% target share, which is comparable to a lot of the wide receivers we saw drafted in round two, round three. Uh, there was one game he saw 17 targets, came against North Carolina. And so, like I said, the efficiency took a nosedive. Do you penalize him for that, or do you praise him for commanding ridiculous levels of volume? I, I don't know, but uh, 
you know, he wasn't off the charts by athleticism, but he actually looks identical to Mark Andrews by every single, you know, event, bench press, three cone, short shuttle, whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like him. I think he's interesting for tight end premium leagues, which is uh, what I play predominantly in dynasty leagues. Uh, and then after him, Trey McKitty, I, I have nothing there, but he has, he has draft capital on his side. He also has a badass name. He was a former Florida State guy. He transferred out. Um, pouring out for Brevin Jordan, too. I had a little bit of hope for him, but he fell yeah. all the way. He fell all the way to the Texans um, garbage organization. So, um, yeah, man, good stuff on Hunter Long. Uh, I'm going to have to give him another look here. Um, and good, good call on Gasicki. Uh, you know I've always been low on Gasicki. The dude is a great athlete, but you can be a great athlete and suck at football. Um, all right, man, this was a lot of fun. Hour and a half nearly. Um, like I said earlier, make sure you ch- come back and check out the uh, powwows we're gonna have next week. I think we're gonna shoot for like Wednesday or Thursday next week. Uh, we'll have the whole staff, uh, plus Adam Kaplan, Greg Cosell, and we'll break down AFC, NFC. And Scott mentioned it you want to use promo code BARFIELD10 to get, <laughs> to get your 10% off and uh, and renew with the site. Uh, save you a little bit in the wallet. But uh, for Scott, I'm Graham. This was Two Bars, man. We're back. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Fantasy Points Radio. We bring to you Barfield and Barrett. All of these parents say hella embarrassed. Like, why did they err it with all of these errors? And Barfield and Barry, you cannot compare it. The kings of this era, there should be a tariff on all of this knowledge. I follow regardless and straight to the point like a crow. Popping and coming, it's losing my oxygen takes that they got made me go. Whoa, so what's a swamp rat gotta do? I'm chasing all of this cheese, even if my competition grew. Deuces to the mean, your boy is never regressing. Off season through the season, 365, 247, and it's one for the money, two bars on the show. Stay ready, swamp rats, let's go.